0: If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 19 and read through. Um, I don't have it on my screen. Can you just click through for me up in the booth there this morning as I read? Uh, uh, we're, we're on a great text this morning. I can't think of a better text for a better day than this text today for us. And here is, uh, here is what the Word of God says. Hebrews ten nineteen through twenty five. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter at the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that we that He opened for us, though so if I don't pay you and your brother have a fault, tell him. And if he oh, wait a minute, I think my sermon. Let me back up. That that's from eighteen. That's later in the sermon. I think it glitched on me here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. May God add blessing to the reading of His holy, and errant and infallible Word, and I pray that He will write this truth on all of our hearts this morning. So we come to Hebrews chapter 10 here, we are really seeing the backstop of an argument that He has been fulfilling and moving through in Hebrews, starting way back in Hebrews chapter 4. And he begins to draw this sort of to a conclusion and to a main point in this section of scripture this morning. The theme here of keeping moving forward in Christ and not turning back is repeating, as well as showing the superiority of Christ and Christ alone. He is in no need of continual empty ritual as has some have practiced in the past, but is sufficient enough in his own sacrifice to be a once for all final sacrifice for God's people. And so Christ alone is sufficient. He is 100 and completely percent sufficient here. And here as we enter into this passage and as we look closely at this, how he has ordered a priest after the order of Melchizedek, that he is our now great high priest who goes in on his own merit and on his own sacrifice, intercedes for us there. And so it is with that in mind that we look a little more closely at these. Now, a few things stick out to me in this passage. So, uh, first of all, here you go quite a ways into this passage before you hit a verb, right? Uh, we we have confidence to enter the blood in the places by the high priest. We see a, a passive verb there, but so by the new and living way, he opened, right? So let's let's kind of back up here and and pick pick this apart. First thing we see here, what brothers, since we have Confidence to enter the holy places. One of the great things that Christ provides for us is that we have confidence in at least three things this morning I think I see in this passage. Three reasons that we have confidence. The first one is simply this, Jesus Christ has given us access. Uh, I have never been to Washington D.C. longer than just driving through it. I have always wanted to go to the White House because I'm a history nerd and I want to go in. I want to see the Lincoln Room. I want to see all these different areas. And one of my favorite things in history is U.S. history. And I want to see the White House. But, you know, you can't just, I don't know if you know this or not, but going to the, to like if we decided after Trunk or Treat we wanted to go to Washington D.C. and packed up, you could not just go get on a, a White House tour tomorrow. You have to get a background check, I think, is it what, six months in advance now? You, you can't just waltz in there, right? And every and every so often, it's funny to me, there is somebody who always tries to break into the White House. Have you ever noticed that? Like they'll they'll get on the grounds. I read about one person who got in line with some Marines that were coming in, kind of kept his head down and just went right in and was found wandering around. I think the last one was 2014. Uh, Omar Gonzalez jumped the fence from the Pennsylvania Avenue side of the White House, entered through the, the north doors there and a Secret Service apprehended him quickly, he did not have access to be in the White House where he was. But you contrast that with President Trump's son, and whenever he gets back from you know a field trip or whatever he's done in school, you know, he can walk right into the White House, he can walk right into the President's office. Why? What's the difference between the two? One has the access granted, and access to the most powerful leader in the free world. The other does not. In a similar fashion here, by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are granted access to a greater power than the President of the United States. You are granted access to the very throne room of God. And that is something that is worth noting here. Uh, he says here, you and I, we can go, we can, I want you to think about this. This is important this morning. We can go right into the presence of God. Because he has given us this access. How did he give us that access? Well, he tells us in the next phrase. He gives us the access to the throne room by the blood of Jesus. What gives Donald Trump's son the access of his blood, his the fact he is the son? Well, you are able to enter the throne room of God not by your merit, not by your doing, but by what, church? By the blood of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now I know some of you are sitting here today and you've come in here and you say, well, that's wonderful, but you know, there are I see terrible things happening to what I would perceive as people that are serving the Lord faithfully. How many of you who are longtime Grace Baptist Church members remember Ruth Gagel? Ruth and John Gagel, raise your hand. You remember that couple? I went to seminary with their grandson, David Gagel at Southern and Louisville. A lot of y'all didn't know that, but we did. And they uh, faithfully serve a church up in their uh, area there in Kentucky. And they adopted a little girl from China and she's had a heart condition. We're kind of waiting on pins and needles to hear back if this little girl's gonna live or if she's not gonna make it. And you know, you look at a situation like that and you think, well, that's terrible. Things like that happen even to people who have this access. Uh, why in the world would we be okay with something like this happening? What, how are we to think about this? And I think the real temptation in moments like that is to ask this question, does God really love me? We've got to just remind ourselves of Jesus and how much he loved us. Here, Listen to me, church, this morning. How much did Jesus love you? He loved you so much that he shed his own blood for you, that he died for me and for you in our place. That is the value that God gives to you this morning. It's because he places that great value not on what we do, but on what Christ has done for us. Second thing here, because of his intercession by the blood of Jesus, he goes on to say, by the new and living way. By the new and living way. He's open up here. Let me, let me just point something out here. Hebrews uses some different words than any other book in the New Testament, and therefore the Old Testament. And one of those words that uh, is used here in this section is acidos, right? Acidos. Uh, that's the transliteration of it. Now, does anybody here know what that means other than Don Holdridge? Is he in the back somewhere? Don may know. Well, you know the opposite of it, the opposite of it is Exodus. So what's Exodus mean? It means to leave, doesn't it? So acidos would mean what? To enter in, right? It, acidos here is enter into, or in this particular case here, to enter into the throne room. Uh, it, it's important here. He has opened up for us, and it says here in this translation and in all the translations, Through his flesh, the curtain, and it's referring to here Jesus Christ becoming flesh. That's the curtain that is being referenced here. Not necessarily the veil in the temple, but it is a symbol of the veil in in many senses here. But through the flesh, Jesus' body, broken for us, the new and living way here, a great high priest... Open here, the house of God has come back to us from chapter four. If we had time, I would remind you what chapter four says when he said that Moses was faithful over the house of God, functioning much like a steward. And back in that, and in Hebrews chapter four, here it says, Jesus is faithful over his, not his father's, he's over his, House is what it says way back in Hebrews chapter four. And so Jesus, Moses is faithful as a steward. Jesus is faithful over his own house as an owner. So think about this access here. He's invited us, uh, even though we are in our sin to be, for our sin here to be completely eradicated and taken away. And that is the thing that bars us from entrance to a holy God. And here Jesus, our high priest, is already there. He's inviting us into him. And when we get there, there is still, he is interceding for us. He is praying for us constantly. He is interceding for you and for me. He is the one who has died for us and intercedes in every way. And so because of this, because of the access we are granted, because here of the intercession of the Son, we now have a confidence that is unlike any confidence in any other religion. Here is the reality of it. Christianity is the most assured religion on the planet. If you talk, listen to me, if you talk to Hindus or to Buddhists, if you talk to new religious movements, <clears throat> which have sprung off of Christianity and are no longer part of our belief system, like Jehovah Witnesses. I want, you know, I really like, you know, when the Jehovah Witnesses come to Mayfield Drive, it's kind of like Christmas for me. Like, I enjoy engaging with them. Like, I always sort of, like, when I see them coming down, I make sure I'm, like, tinkering in the garage or something so they know I'm home, right? <laughs> but, uh, and I will ask them, I said, you know, you guys are so faithfully laboring out here. Have you got assurance that you're going to be saved, you'll be one of those 144,000? And you know what they always tell me every time? No, I just don't know. I hope I do enough that will make it. Why is Christianity different? Here's why it's different. Your assurance and your confidence isn't based on what you're doing. It's based on what Christ has already done. And, and what Christ is continuing to do as He intercedes for you. That's the difference. So you can have a robust confidence that you have access and that you have intercession when these other religions are shrugging their shoulders and have no clue. All right, now we're going to move into the next part of the Scripture here. As we have a great high priest over the house of God. Verse 22. We're going to have a little Greek lesson here. It's actually an English lesson. These two words here. See those right there? Boom. Let us, right? Those two words in Greek, it, it, it's called a hortatory subjunctive. So remember that for later. So if you're, if you're at your trunk later today and I walk up to you and I say, what is a hortatory subjunctive? You can say, let us, right? <laughs> That's the correct answer. Hortatory just means to exhort. And subjunctive means whatever follows. You know, you're being exhorted to follow whatever goes here. So we have here in the next section of this passage three hortatory subjunctives where the author is is telling us, we need to do this, I need to do this, all God's people need to do this. Are you with me? So it's a lettuce salad. Some of you will get that later. That's it. I told one of the kids, who was it, Bishop? I think it was Bishop. So, Bishop, I'm so excited about Trunk or Treat. I was able to get dull salad packs, fun sizes, to hand out to all the children today at Trunk or Treat. Isn't that great? He, He didn't think it was that great. I thought it was hilarious. Well, let's look at this lettuce salad here and all these hortatory subjunctives. First of all, the author tells us, let us what, church? draw near. Now this is interesting because it is the opposite of chapter 4. In the first part he would have said, what he gives is the second word. Here he says, let us draw near. Opening up access to God, drawing near here to Him, that one who is concentrated to have (coughs) a true heart here, a true heart in full assurance of faith, one that has been sprinkled. Did you know the book of Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that uses the word sprinkled? It's the only one that does it. Sprinkled clean, and we're seeing images here if we back up in chapter 10 of the blood being sprinkled on the book, on the people, on on the um, different pieces of furniture that were used for worship in the ancient temple, the mercy seat, blood being sprinkled everywhere. Here it's being sprinkled on the heart (coughs) because the final atonement is made in Jesus Christ. And I know as we read this, and it says here, clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And we're, and some of you have come in this morning, you think, you know, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my faith in different places as a Christian. I fail and I fail often. And I'm not just saying you, I'm saying me as well. Uh, and, we, <laughs> and what I'm really glad about as a believer is this, and this is one of the reasons we can have this confidence, it doesn't depend on if I make a mistake or if I don't make a mistake. The sin that, that happens repeatedly in my life, my consecration, my sprinkling, my cleansing is not my effort. It is actively done by Christ. And because of that, I can draw near to Him. Does that make sense this morning? So, when we, when we look at this passage here, uh, you know, I, be, let me be clear here. I'm not saying if you're somebody that enjoys their sin and runs headlong into their sin and doesn't think twice about it, you know, you need a heart check and you need to think about, you know, as you grieve the Holy Spirit, am I truly a believer? But those who are striving, striving to be like Christ, who have had their conscience clean, who are striving to be more like Him in holiness, there will be slip ups, but your Continually getting there and finally being there is not contingent on you, but on Christ. Next one here, the next hortatory subjunctive, the next piece of the lettuce salad. Let us, what's it say, Church? Hold fast. Let us hold fast. Drawing near to God is an act of your will. It's a it's a desire in your heart. It's resulting in that Jesus has already consecrated you in this next part here. We're at where we're being. Exhorted to hold fast. In chapter 4 we were told to hold fast first and then draw near second. Here's the question though, what are we to hold fast to? In this section of scripture he tells us quickly, hold fast what church? What does he say? The confession. The confession of what? The confession of who Christ is and who we are. That, that's what he's talking about here, of our hope without wavering. This is the reality here. Uh, you've got to remember way back and forth when he used these two verbs, these same two verbs, but he flipped them here in reverse order, hold fast, and then draw near. And here he's saying, salvation, we are to hold fast what? The confession of hope without wavering. The confession of hope that we hold fast is that I profess faith in Jesus Christ first and foremost a long time ago. I confessed it then and I am a believer now and I continue to confess that he is the Savior of the world. (laughs) I'm a believer in all around me know that I'm a believer. Listen to me. This is what he means. He says, hold fast the confession. You should not be a secret saint. This is the reality. People around you should know you're a believer without you telling them that you're a believer. There should be enough gospel saturation in the way you carry yourself, live your life, interact with God's people, and interact with lost people that they can tell a difference. It comes out of your mouth. I don't ever want anybody to question whether or not I am a true believer. I want my confession to be obvious, and I'm going to fail from time to time. Yes, that's absolutely true, but I want, do not want to deny the Lord. And then finally, the third thing here. What does it say? Let us consider. Now, this is interesting, Right? Teach you a little trick in exegeting scripture. When you have items in a series, like three hortatory subjunctives, you know, they're all in a row, and they're all the same, that's important. But when you have three items in a series like this, and you have two that are very similar, like the first two, draw near, and then hold the confession, but the third one's different, right? That's really important. That's what we call turbulence in the text. So here's what here's what you need to see. He's going all the way back to chapter 4, and from 4 to 10, he's been building this argument up much like uh, a Tennessee drive down the field, right? Every yard matters, but when you break the plane right here, That's the most important yard, right, at the very end. Well, this is one of the most important yards that's being broke right here on this last hortatory subjunctive, all the way back from chapter 4 into chapter 10, verse 24. And he's saying, let us consider what? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. And we kind of need clarification on that, right? I mean, that's a great concept and that's a great idea, but then how do we do that? Well, he answers that question immediately in 25. Here's what he says in verse 25, "...not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near." So, how is it that we consider stirring one another up? We meet together as a church body. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Let's let's pick this apart a little closer. Let's take a little closer look at this as we look at this together. He's highlighting here what he is sharing with us, this repetition, 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 variance. And the variance here he is pointing at Christ, at Christ, at Christ. Now he pivots and turns to one another. So since therefore you have been given this, this is what you are to do with it. Now that you can draw near, Uh, Now that you can hold fast your confession, now you need to consider others that are around you. Specifically here, he is speaking to those who have claimed Jesus Christ, and he is admonishing them to be with other believers, not just when you feel like it, committed to other believers. That's what he's saying in this passage. Let me make it very, very clear, right? He he is talking here, I think, about the local body that assembles together and has stated times and meeting places. And you know, we just did a class uh, on the importance of the local body for the life of a believer, and it cannot be. Listen, I cannot overemphasize to you the crux and the importance of being part of a local fellowship. And body, because the New Testament's making this as a central point here, as, as he has built up into these verses. Um, he is telling us, and, and, and it amazes me. I, I've talked to guys, and even guys who are going to go to seminary, and they don't see any kind of verse or formalized membership to a church in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say anything about driving a car, but I'm dang sure a lot of y'all do it, right? Now, let me be clear on this. I do think that there's a formalized structure in the New Testament for a local body and formal church membership. Let me biblically give you the principles. It is one of those concepts like the Trinity. There, you won't find a Bible verse that says, the Lord exists in a Trinity, Second Opinions 3.18, right? It doesn't say that anywhere. It, it is a concept. First John we see the principle, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh, Jesus the Father are one. We see more clarification with the Spirit hovering over in creation. The Spirit and the Father are one and yet separate. Well, here let me make this case here. In the New Testament, the most common word that is used to describe the church is ecclesia. Ecclesia is only used two times by Jesus. It is used in Matthew 16 and it is used in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, he is talking about church discipline. And here's what he says. He tells them all these different steps that a church is to take, a local body is to take to put somebody out if they are living in sin and unrepentant sin. And here's the reality of it. Who are you going to tell if there's not some kind of formalized church membership and there's not a line around these people are part of the church and these people are not? Right? It is implied and understood that there is a line between those that are considered part and formal and part of the membership and those that are not part of the body. He goes on to say in various other sections of the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter, uh, Paul tells us uh, that uh, we are to, uh, excuse me, later in Hebrews, he's going to tell us that we should, Uh, listen to our leaders in our church. Well, how do you know if you have a leader if you haven't formally committed to being part of that? And this is just the reality of it. I understand that this is, people will argue with me and say, well, this is a commitment-phobic culture. Yes and no, right? I'm going to tell you something. I was more committed to something yesterday than I think I ever wanted to be. I'm so glad my daughter's playing basketball because I love basketball. It's a lot of fun. I'm not committed to six hours on a wooden bench of watching little girls play basketball in one day. That is a long time and a long commitment. I didn't find out I had made that commitment until midway through the first game. That was, that was nice, you know what I mean? Or and I think that was partly my fault because I didn't listen when she told me this. But anyway, we have people that will make commitments, but the most important commitment your family can make is to your local church. And I'm not saying that there's not times you don't come to church for various reasons. You all know there's occasions that we miss Sundays. But I can tell you this. Here's a question that's never asked in our household when everybody's well and everybody's doing good. Are we going to go to church tomorrow? It is understood in the house. It's not a question of if we're going, it's which service we're going to, right? Uh, the commitment is made. And, and this is the reality of it. Everything in life, everything in life, everything in life, everything in life that is good requires commitment. My marriage, for 14 years, and I just, Greg and Melissa celebrating 50 years back there this week. Many more, has anybody been long, married longer than 50 years? Raise your hand, been married longer than 50 years. 60? 70? Okay. 65? Okay, Harold Martha right here in the front, okay. I like what my, yeah, that's wonderful. That's commitment. That's a picture of commitment. I like what one of my seminary professors said. He'd been married to his wife a little over 50 years. He said, you know, we never talked about divorce, but we talked about murder a few times. (laughs) Now, I know Harold Martha didn't have that conversation. I think what he was getting at, though, is there's times in a marriage it's hard. Would you say that's right, Harold and Martha? You, it's tough. And it's not so much, I think, that people want to be not, you know, with another spouse as much as it is maybe they just long for singleness. It's long to, you know, not have to be part of the commitment right now in this particular area. But I'm going to tell you something. I think Harold and Martha both say this on the other side of it. It is an amazing blessing to be part of something like that. Isn't that right? To be committed and the fruits that come out of a commitment like that. So we are called here by the Bible to consider one another. And he says here, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us, I think this is another point for church membership and formal church membership. Says he describes all the all the body parts of the church. And I don't think this is about the universal church at all. This has got to be about a local body because of the description in 1 Corinthians 12. And he talks about part of the body being like a hand or a foot or a mouth. Can you you imagine what if your body decided to act like a local church? Like what if you got up tomorrow morning and your mouth said, you know what, I'm just going to take this week off. Or your, or your heart, or one of your kidneys said, I'm just not gonna work this week. I had a really hard week last week. Uh, you ate a lot of different things and it was really hard on me. Or your stomach said, you had way too many peppers last week. I'm taking this whole week off because I'm tired from all the work last week. Right? How well are you gonna get along by the end of that week? Right? You, you see, here, here's the reality of it. Whenever you, whenever you're not part of a church, when you're not part of a, of a committed and you've made that decision as a family, You are hurting yourself, because think about this. You know, when you take a body part outside of the body, how long does that body part last? How long does it last? You better ice it quick and get it into another body fast, or it's going to whittle whittle away and die. You need the body. Christ created you to need the body, and the body needs you. You are a crucial part. Listen, you may not be the mouthpiece like me. Praise God you're not. I'm glad we don't have a church full of Travis Towers. That would be horrible right i'm glad for people who quietly serve in the church and just make this place wonderful right kind of like you know that little that little tooth in your mouth that helps you chew food you don't give it a lot of thought a lot of times so that thing starts hurting right what if every one of your teeth said we're just going to take this whole month off or you know you got to a certain age and your teeth said you know what we've done this job for 60 years we're done we're out see ya, right? It's it's uh, somebody else's turn to do this. That's not, that's not how the New Testament pictures this. Once he'd say here, let us consider how to stir up one another. Now some of us in the church are really good at stirring up things, right? Maybe not in the best of ways. You know, it's literally a, a picture of a of a prod used for an animal to prod them along and keep moving forward, poking them in their backside, causing pain and slight uncomfortability so they will keep pushing forward. Because remember what I said, anything that is important, committed to, you have to be prodded every now and then. Well, this is your prod this morning, that you will be prodded to do what? Love and one another and to good works. Not neglecting together, but encouraging one another. And then here's the reality of it. This This is fascinating to me how he closes this argument. All the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day of the return of Christ. (laughs) Here's what, here's what, something else you're saying when you neglect the church. You're saying, I don't believe he's coming back. Let me, let me see if I can paint this for you. How many of you have drove down 64, Interstate 64, through Kentucky, like from Lexington to Louisville? There's some beautiful horse farms, aren't there, John? Some of you others? I I think they're gorgeous. I mean, they're almost like breathtaking. Listen, there are million-dollar barns between Lexington and Louisville. These horses are better taken care of than you and I ever will be in three lifetimes, okay? They are pampered for the the thoroughbreds of the Kentucky Derby. There is one particular place there uh, just outside Frankfort, And it is owned by an owner that last time I heard had not been back to this, uh, this horse stable for 10 years. So he hadn't been to the United States and to this horse stable. For 10 years. And this stable, it is gorgeous. It is immaculate. This, this stable, I'm trying to find the name of it here. Uh, this stable here, they have stonemasons on hand to make repairs. They have a fully staffed, um, that take care of all the grounds, make sure it's mowed. They have uh, veterinarians that take care of the horses and they keep the place up and spiffy. They even, the, the owner's quarters are kept fully stocked with food all the time. They come in, they take the old food out, they put new food in, because they know that the owner could come back. And the reason that owner hasn't been back, the guy that owns it is actually the leader of the UAB. He's, he lives in Dubai there, so he's over the Arab nations. So he has the money to just throw at this thing. It's like 1,500 acres. What would happen if you went to this beautiful uh, horse um, farm and stable, and they had just really let the place go? And they said, you know, he hadn't been here in 10 years. I don't know if he's ever coming back. Well, stones start looking bad. Eggs in the refrigerator are bad until one day, what, he comes back. Then what happens, right? What happens to that whole staff in Kentucky when that guy comes back? Yeah, they're at least out of a job, if not worse. He's Arab, right? Remember that, right? in a similar fashion when Christ comes back if Christ were to come back you know I used to say to Beck man I'd really just love to go home I'd really love to die in the pulpit while I'm preaching I've recanted since then because I'm afraid I would scar some children for the rest of their lives I don't want to die while I'm preaching but you know what I would love to do I would love to be preaching when Christ returns it would be the ultimate illustration wouldn't it I told you as I go up and it'd be great. I mean, there'd be no better illustration than to be preaching when Jesus Christ returns. What about you this morning? Are you committed to building Grace Baptist Church, this local body? You've seen the instruction this morning. I'm not trying to be legalistic. This is what the Word of God says. Don't neglect the gathering together. Encourage one another. Spur one another on. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. Help us to apply it to our lives. God, if there's anyone here today as we have gone through this text, we have seen it more clearly and understood it more clearly. Lord, they need to, maybe they need to freshen up that formal church membership. Maybe they need to be part of this body. Lord, I ask that you would help them with that. Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to draw nearer to you because the access you've granted wants to give you praise for that, God. Lord, uh, just let them do that at the altar as we open that up here in a minute. And Lord, just let our hearts respond to the truth that is here this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you for the many things that you've done for us and for the the fact we can be part of building your kingdom. Lord, help us when you return to be found as faithful stewards who have built diligently, committed to the great commandments and the great commission. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move into a time of response now.